Many years ago, I lived in a subdivision of a town called Peterborough in the heart of England. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. It's famous for not being famous. Apart from a beautiful and historic cathedral, the town centre is dominated by soulless shopping precincts, housing the same shops you'll find in every other soulless shopping precinct. And it's surrounded by satellite subdivisions, all built since the 1960s. Now, I don't want to completely trash the planners of those residential areas all those years ago. Uh, For example, they did not raise high-rises. They didn't produce bland conformity. They did not build eyesores that would need to be blown up a generation later. In fact, they tried valiantly to preserve mature trees and incorporate green open spaces. They crafted twisty lanes and windy paths. And it was while I was driving home one afternoon that one of those mature trees in one of those small green spaces at the side of one of those twisty lanes left its mundane life behind, mugged my attention and made the town of Peterborough forever remarkable. I could see from a few hundred yards away that this was no ordinary afternoon in my mundane subdivision. A throng of around 50 people were swarming near the base of a tree a few feet from someone's house. A dozen had brought step ladders that they were now wobbling atop. Most of the scrum were holding binoculars to their eyes. Some were scrawling in notebooks like secretaries taking dictation. The well-prepared peered into cameras with long lenses balanced on tripods. From my vantage point, these long lenses and the binoculars seemed to be trained on the house. What on earth could be happening inside? Had the Queen dropped by to officially name Peterborough the dullest place in her kingdom and chosen this family's back patio from which to address the nation? Was there an armed siege? Had some gruesome murder taken place? But it couldn't be that. Uh, The closest my subdivision ever got to a juicy crime was when someone blocked their neighbour's drive with their Volvo. But I continued home, confident that the local paper would put a reassuring end to my questions. But it didn't. And that forest of long lenses and binoculars were there the next day, and the next. In fact, these gawkers were there for two whole weeks, sitting in their folding chairs, some with rugs on their knees, sipping tea from flasks, eating sandwiches, and keeping themselves cheerful, much as their grandparents had done during the Blitz. And staring... So, if it wasn't a crime, or a scandal, or a celebrity, why were these people camped out hour after hour, investing whole days of their lives? The answer lay, or rather perched, in that solitary tree next to the house. A black-throated thrush. Yeah, that's what I thought too. (laughs) Seriously? 
Uh, I don't know what a black-throated thrush looks like. Uh, I, I'm guessing, you know. But apparently they live in Asia and there have only been 29 recorded sightings of them in the United Kingdom ever. Yet someone with a keen eye and a knowledge of birds had spotted one in this very tree and rattled the cages of the bird-watching community. And that ordinary tree next to an average house in mundane Peterborough became the centre of their universe. And I'm sure the people who lived there were really grateful. (laughs) And it all started because someone looked. Not a cursory glance, but a deep look, a stare, a long, studious gaze. Someone looked through the leaves and beheld the treasure. Can anything good come from my subdivision? A little bird told me yes. It's a good-natured question to ask of a town which actually I have many wonderful memories of and was proud to call my home for a few years. But sometimes the question is asked with cynicism, even with hatred. Can anything good come from Europe, asks the spiteful Englishman. Can anything good come from Mississippi, wonders the Californian, or from New York, adds the Texan. Can anything good come from Nazareth, asks, well, asks a man called Nathaniel in today's gospel lesson. To our ears, the question is absurd. Of course, something good can come from Nazareth. How about Jesus? But to cynical Nathaniel, Nazareth could not possibly be the home of the Messiah. He he could not be bothered to look through the leaves and behold the treasure. Nathaniel was actually from just down the road, a village called Cana, a mere four miles from Nazareth. Both towns were in the region of Galilee, and as you'd expect, the residents of each were indistinguishable from the other in ethnicity and in religion. So at least Nathaniel was not being racist or anti-Semitic. But let's not let him wriggle off the hook completely. Let's call him what he is, a cynic and a bigot. He arrogantly thought his local knowledge of Nazarenes allowed him to write off every last one as literally no good. Don't bother to look through the leaves and behold the treasure. John writes, The next day Jesus went to Galilee and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son, from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Come, Nathanael, look through the leaves and behold the treasure. You don't have to be from another faith or another continent or another ethnic population to be a bigot. Nathaniel proves to us what we know in the United States in 2018. You can be a bigot towards people of the same colour, nationality, religion, language and customs. We know it 
towns and communities are rent asunder. Facebook friends are unfriended. Family members are ostracised, even disinvited from holiday celebrations because of who they voted for in 2016. Can anything good come from the cohort of his or her supporters? My ex-friend's motives for voting for her or him must be evil, which makes my ex-friend evil or ignorant or both. Whichever, I don't want to share my table with them again. There's no treasure behind those leaves. Bigots don't need to work too hard to find a reason for their prejudice. Seize on some negative characteristic of a small number of people and then tar everyone in that group with the same brush. You know how it goes. Nathaniel had probably had a bad experience in Nazareth once. Maybe a Nazarene insulted him. Maybe one had been rude. Perhaps one even hurt him physically. Whatever it was, Nathaniel's heart was now closed to all Nazarenes. Nothing good can come from any of them. Human beings have this unnerving and appalling ability to damn whole populations because of the actions of a handful of people. I love living so close to New York City. I adore its diversity. I'm captivated by sights and sounds and people and customs that are new to me. I struggle to understand people who dislike diversity. But this opens me to some subtle dangers. Unless I am in constant contact with the God who loves all people equally, even the intolerant and the bigot, I can become one of them. I become intolerant of people who are intolerant and bigoted towards bigots, prejudiced against the prejudiced. My prayer life can resemble that of the Pharisee who looked at the sinner in the temple and spouted, Dear God, I thank you that I am not like one of those sinners who think they are better than others. Thank you that my vision of your love is so much bigger than theirs. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like those Christians who think they're always right. You know the kind I mean, Lord. The ones who stand on street corners condemning people because of their atheism or their belief in evolution. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those Christians who relish telling people they're going to hell or that their sins deserve your anger and judgment. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Westboro Baptist Church. Thank you that I'm not one of those intolerant Christians who doesn't know the difference between a Muslim, a Sikh or a Hindu, but who doesn't care anyhow because they judge all of them as outside your love. Thank you, God, that I'm open-minded, accepting of others, inclusive, compassionate and biblical, not like those other types of Christians, if indeed you can even call them Christians. If you can read Nathaniel's cynicism and bigotry and think it's about other people and not you, then it's possible you don't get it. Do you want some good news? Uh, because the word gospel means good news and Nathaniel's story is the gospel lesson, not the bad news lesson. 
This is a story that begins in bigotry but ends in grace. It starts in prejudice and finishes with acceptance. It's a before and after story, a conversion story. Nathaniel changes. From a man who judges on appearances, who sees only leaves, to a person who peers past the foliage and beholds the true value of a person. The man who asks, can anything good come from Nazareth, ends up praising a Nazarene. Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. How is it possible that the prejudiced cynic becomes a disciple, indeed an apostle? And the answer does not lie in his own goodness or his gritting his teeth and trying to believe that Nazarenes can actually be virtuous. The answer is rooted and sprouts from Jesus' acceptance of him. We are used to Christ giving radical hospitality to the marginalised, the sick, the social outcast, the morally bankrupt, the people the religious establishment had written off as unclean and untouchable. And we rightly follow his example in our individual lives and as we form the policies of our churches. But the good news is even more shocking than that. The radical hospitality of Christ extends not just to the victims of bigotry, but the bigots themselves. The very people who do the excluding, judging and condemning. Jesus doesn't treat Nathaniel the way I would. I'd have given him a piece of my mind. Jesus gives him a piece of his heart. He says... Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He receives an insult and replies with a compliment. And Nathaniel is moved beyond words, beyond reason. His heart is freed and his mind is changed. Jesus gave him eyes to see through the leaves and behold the treasure. Are you happy that Jesus took a bigot and made him an apostle? Well, it gets even more shocking than that. Let's not forget our patron saint. Paul was a religious extremist who was devoted to the violent eradication of the Christian church. How compelling and irresistible must be the grace of God that such a man was transformed into the author of 1 Corinthians 13. How do people change for the better? It's not through the threat of punishment. You can't manipulate someone into changing or beat them into it or guilt them into it. People change when they encounter the grace of God. So if God can do it with people of hate and violence, then take heart. Your sins, my moral failings, our persistent failures in the spiritual life, these are nothing in the face of Christ's power to change us. 
And so, may you this week feel your eyes growing stronger, growing in the power to see beyond the superficial what they look like, where they live, who they vote for, what they believe, to the treasure that is within every woman and man on earth, made in the image of God and bought with the price of his blood. Amen.